You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Coming up this July, the Forum is offering two more learning opportunities. The first is a webinar called A Roadmap for Creating Impact and Value with Employee Resource Groups, which is being held on July 16th. The second is part of the Forum's Diversity Insights Digital Presentation Series, and it's called Global Citizenship, Whole World Sensibilities and Responsibilities in the Time of COVID-19. This special digital presentation will be on July 30th. For more information, times, and how to register, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome. I'm Ben Rear, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Double Consciousness in the Authentic South, with DNI author and trainer Femina Ajayi Hawkworth. In this podcast, participants will learn about double consciousness and how it affects their authentic selves. The discussion is mainly based on the studies from W.E.B. Du Bois. Participants will acquire understanding about what dominant culture is and how it affects their authentic selves, how they choose to present their authentic selves at work and in society by recognizing their own self-minimization and self-modification. This dialogue is an extension of greater discussions around bias and authentic self. We'll learn what does dominant culture mean for me? When and why do I choose to minimize or modify myself, and how does my cultural lens impact my authentic self? Femina Ajayi Hawkworth is an experienced DNI practitioner with a demonstrated history of working in the federal, state, and local government. She has strong professional skills in Americans with Disabilities Act, Equal Employment Opportunity, EEO compliance training, DNI training, ADA training, nonprofit organizations, government conflict resolution, facilitation, and legal writing. Famina has been in the diversity and inclusion field for the past 13 years. Fashion is working beyond increasing the diversity of organization staff to reflect workforce demographics, but rather to enhance diversity and inclusion so that diversity is no longer viewed as a separate and distinct entity, but a comprehensive and necessary fact of today's work. Famina currently works as a diversity and inclusion consultant. She provides management and associates with counseling, guidance, and support in creating and maintaining an inclusive and positive work environment so that diversity and inclusion is embraced and leveraged throughout the organization while mitigating employment risk. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here today with you. Today, we are going to just explore double consciousness in our authentic selves. We will start out by defining double consciousness as a thought and a term. We will explore how double consciousness disrupts the desire to be our authentic selves. This discussion will lead us to determine what dominant cultures are and how and why they influence our authenticity at work. Today's talk will ultimately guide us in our understanding of how 
and why we choose to minimize aspects of our identities in order to fit in and survive with dominant cultures. Finally, in this discussion of double consciousness, we will learn how we can support each other as we each try to bring our authentic selves to work. Let's begin. Double consciousness is a unique term coined by African-American scholar W.E.B. Du Bois in 1903. In summary, he describes double consciousness as one's experience of always needing to measure oneself through the eyes of the dominant culture and society and being so aware of it that one feels obliged to minimize the aspects of their culture or identity that make them unique. Double consciousness is the original antithesis to today's term code switching. I use double consciousness because I believe it fully describes the experience, process, and feelings many have had who have practiced code switching. I tip my hat back to the original scholar who described code switching or double consciousness in his 1903 book, the souls of black folk as the following, quote, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body. This was groundbreaking during this time in history because during the Jim Crow era, the failure of an African-American to code switch had dire consequences. Today's topic is heavy. It requires a lot of self-reflection, but it can also be enlightening and may spark your curiosity. My goal in this presentation is to spark your curiosity, and I plan to meet you at whichever level you find yourself. To continue your education and to foster more awareness, I will be providing a list of resources that you can use to explore the concept of double consciousness divided by level of expertise. I base the research of this topic on Du Bois' work, and I encourage you to start or restart your journey with the book, The Souls of Black Folk. I hope that today's presentation will be a good self-reflective piece that will remind you of your strength in choosing how you want to present your authenticity at work. There is no right or wrong answer today. There's only the desire to spark your curiosity on the topic. Let's begin. So we have discussed double consciousness through the definition loosely as one's experience of always needing to measure oneself through the eyes of the dominant culture and society and being so aware of it that one feels obliged to minimize the aspects of one culture or identity that makes them unique. Let's dissect this definition. In the definition, we start out by referring to one's experience. Experience in this instance refers to one's experience at work. I particularly focus on one's experience at work for a few reasons. First, the workplace is a vital and substantially necessary part of many of our lives. It is also a place where we're most likely to interface with others different from ourselves. Second, in the conglomerate of workers, it's highly likely that there is a dominant and pervasive culture that a typical worker must adhere to in order to economically evolve. Third, the workplace is typically different than the social experience one has at home or within their religious community. W.E.B. Du Bois explained the importance of this even back in 1903 when he said, quote, I know some towns where a straight line drawn down through the middle of Main Street separates nine-tenths of the whites from nine-tenths of the blacks. If we think about our society, we're still pretty segregated socially, and for this reason, the workplace becomes the pinnacle focus of our integration. And finally, fourth, I recognize that by not focusing on the need to code switch or the experience of double consciousness in greater society, we are missing a part of the dialogue that acknowledges that the decision not to code switch can result in higher arrest rates, police brutality, 
increases in school discipline, educational inequities, and many other experiences that linger from the Jim Crow era. For the purposes of today's discussion, we are touching on the surface of one's experience in the workplace, a place we spend more than 2,000 hours a year full time. For these four reasons, I have chosen to focus on the workplace for one's experience within the definition. Let's further review this important definition so that we can level set the discussion on double consciousness. Double consciousness is one's experience at work of always needing to measure oneself through the eyes of the dominant culture. When I refer to the eyes of dominant culture, I am specifically referring to identity. We start up identity because Dubois identified this as a starting place when examining double consciousness. Quote, he began to have a dim feeling that to obtain a place in the world, he must be himself and not another. I focus on the identities that would be considered primary identities and secondary identities. Primary identities are those that a typical person can see. Primary identities include race, gender, and ability. Secondary identities are those identities that one does not necessarily see, like sexual orientation, marital status, religion, or national origin. Secondary identities may also require code switching, but not always so. So, we have talked about one's experience at work and the identity being seen through the eyes of the dominant culture. Let's talk about dominant culture. Dominant culture has an expected set of norms like dress, speech, language, ideology, and authority that we are expected to know and follow at work. There are a few things I wanna highlight about dominant culture. First, dominant culture does not always mean white culture. It really depends on the work environment you experience. Second, there can be multiple dominant cultures. For example, a dominant culture could be both white and patriarchal, which highlights the identities of race and gender. Third, it can be difficult for individuals with multiple primary identities to navigate through the dominant cultures. For example, it can be more difficult for a black female than a white female to navigate through the workplace with a dominant culture that is white and patriarchal. So dominant culture is those unwritten rules we are expected to follow at work. Think about some of the unwritten expectations at your workplace. This brings us to the final portion of our definition. This part of the definition is self-reflective and is more difficult to recognize. In the definition, we said, double consciousness as one's experience at work of always needing to measure oneself through the eyes of the dominant culture and being so aware of it that one feels obliged to minimize aspects of their cultural identity that make them unique. Let's think about that for a moment. Think about what changes you've made to yourself in order to function in your workplace. This could be as simple as the language you speak, the dialect you use, or the food you choose to share, or the deference that you give to those who are in positions of power. W.E.B. Du Bois explains it as this, quote, the Negro is sort of the seventh son born with a veil and gifted with the second sight in this American world, a world which yields him no true self-consciousness but only lets him see himself through the revelation of the other world. Any changes, either consciously or subconsciously, that you make to aspects of your cultural identity is considered self-minimization. We will be talking about this at length in the future. One thing I want to say about self-minimization is that we do it either consciously or subconsciously. These changes we make to ourselves are a means of survival in the workplace, because to not self-minimize in some manner could turn to social suicide and have economic consequences for us. 
These changes only become problematic when we have fundamentally altered our identity in order to blend in with the dominant culture and that we become lost in it. As we discuss self-minimization and we look at our identities, I don't want you to look down on yourself or others, but instead focusing on supporting those who take bolder steps to be their authentic selves at work, because this work is hard. Let's dive into self-minimization through the examination of our personal identities. I define self-minimization as knowingly and intentionally making small temporary changes to one's cultural identity in order to facilitate the unwritten rules of dominant culture. I want you to think about all of your identities and list them on a piece of paper. This is where we begin the self-reflective work. This list should include your primary identities like race, gender, and ability, and your secondary identities like sexual orientation, marital status, familial status, hidden disabilities, size, national origin, etc. This list should be extensive as you write all of these identities down. Now, one extra caveat that I want you to do is this. I want you to think about how the outside world sees you. I also want you to include any identities that the world assumes or imposes on you or about you, whether they are true or not. This requires you to list identities that you don't necessarily agree with. Once you have your extensive list of all the identities attached to you, I want you to circle the identities that you want people to know when they see you at work. There should only be a few of these identities circled. I will use myself as an example. I have written down black, white, female, Nigerian, Ukrainian, college educated, middle-class, heterosexual, light-skinned, and married as a few of my identities. I have circled black, female, college-educated, Nigerian, and married. Examine your list. I want you to notice the identities that are not circled. These identities are more important to this exercise because the identities that are not circled are likely among some of the identities you have practiced some manner of self-minimization in. When I look at my list, I did not circle white, Ukrainian, or light skin. I am not ashamed of these identities. However, if I honestly look at the identities I have circled, I know that I have knowingly and intentionally made small temporary changes to my cultural identity in order to facilitate the unwritten rules of dominant culture. Let's talk about this. This is the hard part of the self-reflection. I hope that my personal example will help stretch you to think about the self-minimizations you have done in your life. My decision not to circle some of my identities allows me to see where I have self-minimized in the past. It's not something that came out of nowhere. It is something that is learned and experienced over time and is something I have consciously and unconsciously done. My first example was when I was a teenager. When I think about it, when I think about myself, I think about the times I was a teen and I was embarrassed by my parents. I was not embarrassed by my parents for what teens are usually embarrassed for their parents for. I was embarrassed by my parents because they both were not black. I remember that when I was out in public with my mom, I used to pretend that she was not related to me. And for the most part, it worked. I could walk far enough away from her that people did not think we were related. I was upset that I did not have a black mother. And my way of pretending that I had an assumed African-American cultural experience was to pretend as though she didn't exist. I also conveniently did not speak up when a joke or comment was made about interracial relationships, blended families, or biracial kids. 
I was attempting to permanently alter my true identity of biculturalism in order to assimilate with my peers and greater society's expectations of me. I recognize now that I self-minimize my whiteness and my blackness throughout life. As a kid, I was just trying to fit into whatever dominant culture I was in. In school, I went through phases of listening to alternative music and dressed accordingly because that's what my peers did. I speak English and my whole life I've been told I sound white. I've tried to self-minimize that. My skin shade has been a point of contention in the past. I hated winters when I would get too light and therefore would go tanning so that the white kids would not come back from spring break darker than me and would run over to compare their tan to my skin. My second example of my self-minimization is from when I was in college. I have frequently told people that I am no more white than I am black and I am no more black than I am white. And this is 100% true. My father is 100% Nigerian and my mother is 100% Ukrainian. However, even though I was a biracial ch child that grew up in an interracial family, I tried to make this argument in college unsuccessfully. I remember one time in a college course, I tried to argue this as a point of discussion on double consciousness and what it meant for me when I filled out forms identifying my race. At this point in time, there was no multiracial category to choose from. I simply stated that I should be able to choose whichever race I wanted, white or black, if I'm only allowed to choose one box on a form. I quickly learned that in order to socially survive among my classmates and be accepted in my collegiate society, I needed to minimize aspects of my Caucasian self. As I stumbled through this, I experimented with my identity all throughout school. I didn't speak up or share when I did not same, share some of the same familial social norms as my African-American classmates. My family structure, foods, customs, and holidays were different from my cohorts. This is one example of how and why I chose to minimize aspects of my Caucasian self as a means of socially surviving among my collegiate society. That translates into my life even today. I don't take drastic measures as I did when I was in college when I was still trying to figure out who I am, but it does impact my life today. Today, I emphasize aspects of my African-American self, but I do not take the same measures of my Caucasian self at work. I don't do this out of shame. However, I've learned that the dominant culture sees me as an African-American female only, and not as a biracial African-American and Caucasian-American. When I look back at my list, if I'm honest, this is the historical reason I have circled black prominently on my list of identities. As you look at your list, what historical minimizations have you made? Self-minimization means knowingly and intentionally making small temporary changes to your cultural identity in order to facilitate the unwritten rules of dominant culture. Let me give you another example. This one is much lighter. Middle class is another identity I have not circled among my list. When I was younger and in grade school, I was so jealous of all, my, all the wealthy kids who wore retainers for their braces at lunch. I wanted to fit in so much that I used to bend a paperclip and hold it in my mouth so that I could be like my wealthy peers. It's silly, right? It was silly, but it was a self-minimization I made to myself in order to increase my social status among my peers. Sometimes, if you think about yourself as a child, it can help you identify some of the self-minimizations you made in order to fit in. As an adult, we make many self-minimizations to ourselves throughout the day. Self-minimizations are not all bad. In fact, they're the way that we cope with the dominant culture around us at work. Minimizations are temporary. I might temporarily change the way I dress in order to fit into the workplace. 
My final example of self-minimization took place later in my life when I worked for the Department of Corrections as a diversity director. I was intentional about with whom I shared this information. I quickly realized that dependent upon my audience, my place of work could be emotionally triggering for some people. I had to decide if every time I shared my place of work, if I was really going to share where I worked. If my husband and I were at a dinner party and most of the guests were white, I know that when I shared that I worked for the Department of Corrections, their reaction was vastly different than when the guests were African-American. It was hard because my place of work was not something I was ashamed of, but the symbolism and historic baggage that comes with the prison system would be the focus of the work that I was, instead of the work that I was trying to do in corrections. I did not lie about where I worked. I instead took more steps to explain where I worked before I got there. This impacted the identity I was attempting to present. First, I would say, I work in diversity. If they asked for more, I would say, I work for diversity in human resources. If they asked for more, I would say, I work for diversity in human resources in the state. And finally, if they continued to prod, I would say, I work for diversity in human resources in the state in the Department of Corrections. I would quickly follow by saying my job was to recruit and retain diverse staff and train all staff to be respectful of our offender population because I was, felt it was important for our staff to ref reflect the populations we serve. My authentic self came, came from taking, pain, taking careful measures to explain my profession rather than completely ignoring it. In my list of identities, I did not circle Department of Corrections. I knew that the strong emotions about where I work were not about me, but we're out, of out, we're out of a sense of concern for our community. For me, this was a minimization I made to my identity that I presented to the outside world. It's not always easy to change aspects of your identity in order to maneuver through dominant culture. Making changes temporary to your identity in order to maneuver through dominant culture does not mean that you have sold out. I encourage you to recognize your own minimizations that you've chosen to make in order to go to work from day to day. There are a whole host of historical reasons why I've chosen to circle the items I've circled. Do any of the following sound familiar to you? I struggle to find band-aids that match or makeup that matches. Nude is not my color. Marketing is not directed towards me and either is a majority of literature or pop culture. When I walk through a store, I am followed with suspicion. When I speak on the phone, people assume that I am white. Blended families are rarely portrayed in the media. In, in public, people reach out and touch my hair. I'm not looked at as African, but rather African-American. Mental health is important to my family and is portrayed horribly in society. As a woman, when I get married, I'm expected to change the single most important thing to my identity, my name. When I really digest my list of identities, there are many self-minimizations I made to fit in at work. I might use tools like makeup, heels, a hyphenated last name, or other things to fit in the workplace versus at home. It's temporary. I recognize and know the difference. So go back and look at your uncircled identities. Think about what slight changes you've made to yourself in order to present the identity you want the work world to see. Self-minimization is about knowingly and intentionally making small temporary changes to your cultural identity in order to facilitate those unwritten rules of a dominant culture. To be truly your authentic self at work, you may still make self-minimizations. We lose our authenticity when we permanently modify ourselves and become lost within dominant culture. 
Du Bois explains that what is important is that we do not lose ourselves in self-minimization. Du Bois says, quote, the history of the American Negro is the history of this strife, this longing to attain a self-conscious manhood, to merge his double self into a better and truer self. In this merging, he wishes neither of the older selves to be lost. He would not Africanize America, for America has too much to teach the world in Africa. He would not bleach the Negro soul in a flood of white Americanism, for he knows the Negro blood has a message for the world. When I think about the permanent ways people modify themselves, I think about skin bleaching, plastic surgery, and other extremes people take to modify their authenticity. I still know my authentic self when I come to work with my hair in a certain style or if I change my dialect. I am not lost in it. I still know who I am. This is a fundamental piece of double consciousness. You are consciously aware of your authentic self and acknowledge the changes you make in order to function within dominant culture. These concepts are a strong point of what Du Bois' double consciousness touched on when we apply it to today's work world. Let's work through a few examples of how double consciousness presents itself at work. There are many ways that we can be supportive of our coworkers as they bring their authentic selves to work. Here are a few examples of how this can be done. In this first scenario, we are working with a man named Olule Khan. Your friend, whose name is spelled O-L-U-L-E-K-A-N and is pronounced Olule Khan, continually is called Olu. After repeatedly correcting people throughout his life, Olule Khan determined that it was just easy to let people call him Olu. Olule Khan has not corrected anyone at work over the past year, but he would like to be called by his real name. How can Olule Khan live his authentic self at work? How would you support Olule Khan in being his authentic self at work? You can support Olule Khan by using the correct pronunciation of his name, as well as correcting individuals who may pronounce it wrong. A simple statement like, I know many people have been calling Olule Khan Olu for a while, but his name is correctly pronounced Olule Khan. Please help me in sharing this with folks. Olule Khan could also add the pronunciation of his name to his email signature line as well. It will take time for people to adjust over time. The correct pronunciation can be learned. When learning, to, when learning difficult to pronounce names, it's important to continue to try until you get the pronunciation correct and never ask for a nickname instead. Asking for a nickname is a minimization that you are placing on someone else. Only use a nickname if that is offered to you. A second example. Your friend works on another team. You and your friend, you are friends with their same-sex spouse as well. You attended their wedding last year. Your friend has never told their coworkers that they are gay or married. They are now at a point in their life that they want their coworkers to know more about their personal life, but they're not sure how to bring it up since they've been hiding it all these years. You could encourage your friend to bring a wedding picture for their desk. You could encourage them to tell their coworkers about their spouse in simple conversations. You can support your friend by using respectful language when referring to a person's spouse as a partner and not just for same-sex couples. And you can speak up if you hear rumors or disrespectful things about same-sex partnerships. The next example, a coworker in a different department shares that they have been sober for 10 years. Their team likes to go out for happy hour for social occasions and recognition events. Most of the people who have been promoted have regularly attended these events. Your co-worker has always declined these events in the past and has invented reasons why they can't attend. They would like to attend the events with their coworkers, but they don't want to risk their sobriety either. 
they are also unsure whether they want to tell their others that they are sober as they're not sure how others will respond to them. How could you help your worker in being their authentic self at work? In this situation, think about how you would support your coworker. Remember, there are no perfect answers. The right thing to do is always positively support your authentic self that the individual brings to work. I hope that today's discussion leads to more curiosity about the topic of double consciousness. Today, we have unpacked the topic of double consciousness that was brought to us by W.E.B. Du Bois. We clarified the unwritten rules of dominant culture in the workplace. We did the hard work of examining what our own identities mean in the workplace, and we looked outwardly to identify how we could support each other in the workplace. Now that you have done this important work, I would like to share a list of resources for you. You may want to take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Starting out at the beginner level, I suggest the following three books. The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, 10 Days in a Madhouse by Nellie Bly. In the beginner level, I also suggest the following three movies, Good Hair, Black Panther, and Matchstick Men. In the beginner level, I also suggest the following online sources, the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast titled How to Negotiate Like a Woman, the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast titled The Workplace Fear Factor, the online article titled 25 Stars Who Suffer from Imposter Syndrome, and the online article titled A Point of View, Double Consciousness and Women. All of these are beginner level because they provide the audience with the perspective of individuals examining dual identities within race, gender, and ability. In the intermediate level, I suggest the following books. Not Fit for Our Society, Immigration and Nativism in America by Peter Schrag. Half and Half, Growing Up Biracial and Bicultural. The Crisis Magazine. Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. No, No Boy by John Okada. And Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. I also suggest the following films. He Made Me Malala, An Infinitely Polar Bear. All of these are intermediate because the stories are unapologetically told from the writer's perspective on race, gender, and ability. In the expert level, I suggest the following books. Ashley's War by Gail Lemon, A Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston, Good is Not Enough and Other Unwritten Rules for Minority Professionals by Keith Weichi. De Colores Means All of Us, Latina Views for a Multicolored Century by Elizabeth Martinez. Kill the Indian, Save the Man by Ward Churchill. Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. And Guidelines for Being Strong White Allies by Paul Kivel. In the expert level, I suggest the following movies. Intelligent Lives, which can be found online. All About My Mother, which can be found on YouTube. Get Out, Peanut Butter Falcon, Welcome to Me, and Crip Camp, which can be found on Netflix. Thank you. Thank you, Femina, for that wonderful podcast and the resources. If you'd like to learn more about double consciousness and how to be more of your authentic self, contact Femina by email at femina.hawkworth at gmail.com. More episodes of the Forum podcast are available on 
at our website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward podcast. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. We hope you will join us again soon. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.